0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Psyched for Psychology. We are so happy to have you join us today. We're going to be talking about a topic that has been really in our media quite a bit over the last few years. Uh, we've heard about domestic violence. We It was brought up in the Johnny Depp case and yeah. that, uh, that happened there. and yeah. Many people uh, know of the Gabby Petito incidents yeah. that made national news and so we're going to be talking about this we do hear about it It happens quite often and domestic violence really what is it how do we know what it is why don't women just kind of get out of these relationships kind of what to do
1: and we're talking about this because this is one of your specialty areas right
0: Brad well this is I mean I wouldn't say I I specialize in it but uh, myself and dr. Karen Ryan who was on our program before when we were talking about radical acceptance Mm -hmm. She and I did a training on domestic violence for our entire company, and uh, the founder of our company, Brian Nystrom, this was really important to him that we all get trained in understanding this because domestic violence is really not a mental health disorder that we find in our diagnostic criteria, in our Mm -hmm. diagnostic manual. But it is something that we do see, and we see the results of this, and it's devastating. I've had a number of women who've gone through this and seen just the devastation Mm -hmm. that it's really brought on them. And so I say women because this, in general, is a gendered crime. Mm -hmm. And this is something that does happen to men, actually. Mm -hmm. Uh, One in nine men. Uh, experience domestic violence and Mm -hmm. so I'll be referring to this primarily as a gendered issue because it does affect women of one in three Mm -hmm. and so that's how I'll be referring to this in our podcast today but for us as clinicians we think we need to think about that because one in three people like a third like every third person that comes to our office Mm -hmm. who's a woman has likely experienced this and as I said even with men too so we want to get into this and really as Dr. Ryan and myself had done research on this we also went through a training through something called the Duluth training model or Mm -hmm. the Duluth model not to be confused with Duluth Trading. company Company. yes Uh, (laughs) this is the the Duluth model and it's right in our backyard here in Minnesota and Duluth Minnesota and they really are the gold standard when it comes to understanding and addressing domestic violence Mm -hmm. so I'd like to start talking about them a little bit because of the exceptional work that they do so the Duluth model really is it's an ever-evolving way of thinking about how a community works together to end domestic violence. Now notice that the emphasis is upon a community. This is, in their opinion, not something that just a woman does to leave uh, an abusive situation. It's something that involves everybody in the community.
1: Right, it can't just be you, the individual, you're dealing with it, so you gotta deal with it. Like, we're expanding that to this affects more people. And so they need a full community of support around them to help them with that.
0: They really do, and so it's it's something that this is not just something clinicians need to be thinking about, people who have experienced this, they obviously are thinking about it, but all of us, when we think about the prevalence of this, we all are seeing this, we come in contact with it, and we all play a part, and that's what the Duluth model really tries to uh, emphasize, is that as we deal with this as a community, we can end Domestic violence. This is something that does not have to continue Mm -hmm. in our culture. So one of the things they have done is they've taken the blame off of the victim and placed the accountability on the the offender Mm -hmm. the abuser which is Sounds very sort of commonsensical, but historically The emphasis was always on the woman. Yeah, You, you just need to leave why not leave this guy, right? So we'll talk about that in a little bit, but that's one of the things that they were some of the the forerunners in this way of thinking. And they've also prioritized the voices and the experiences of the women who experienced battering in the creation of of policies and procedures, and they developed something called the the equality wheel, and uh, we'll talk more about what that looks like. And that was really the result of them prioritizing the voices and the experiences of women. Mm -hmm. What they would say is that battering is a pattern of actions used to intentionally control or dominate an intimate partner and actively works to change societal conditions that support men's use of tactics of power and control over women. Mm -hmm. So that's really what they're trying to do and and they work on this from the first 9-11 phone call all the way through the court systems to try to educate and bring people awareness to how complex this is and how we can eradicate it from our culture as a whole. So,
1: I'm kind of then cu- curious like, how do we define just that term alone? Like, what is domestic violence?
0: That's a good question yeah. uh, because many people have different ideas of what abuse is. Mm-hmm. When we did the training throughout Nystrom, we had some really good discussion about this because some people define abuse very differently. Mm -hmm. And are we talking about abuse? Are we talking about something other than abuse? And if it is, what is that? Mm -hmm. So it's a bit amorphous to sort of say, this is what it is. Let me try to provide a little bit of clarity on this. The definition, according to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, they would say that domestic violence is the willful, intimidation, physical assault, battery, sexual assault, and other abusive behavior as part of a systematic pattern of power and control perpetrated by one inter- partner against another. So notice that mm-hmm. it, it involves an array of tactics used by the abuser and it's, it's willful mm-hmm. intimidation and its its goal is to dominate yeah. and control. But not everybody. Mm -hmm. it's it's to dominate and control that one Mm -hmm. intimate partner so it's accompanied by emotional abuse controlling behavior that's not just emotionally driven but it's also uh, you have the physical abuse and with the physical abuse think about it: all it takes is one act of physical violence Mm -hmm. and that makes every other threat Mm -hmm. now very credible so what drives some of this is this sense of entitlement that the abuser has. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit when we talk about the abuser in particular. But there, that's what drives us. A lot of people just don't understand why men in particular do this. And it's not easy to actually identify who these men are mm-hmm. because they come across as very likable, very charming. Mm-hmm. In the case with Gabby Petito, Brian Laundry was the perpetrator, the offender, and real likable kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's you can't sort of pick him out of a crowd and say, oh, guy's probably...
1: Oh yeah, he looks shady. Like, right. He must be that guy right there. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. You, you know, yeah. it's funny for me because growing up as a kid, in the '70s, all the bad guys were the guys who had the five o'clock shadow or the beard. They were always <laughs> the bad guys, right? Now everybody's got a beard, and <laughs> yeah. except for me, I just I can't grow one. But nonetheless, it's it's hard because yeah. they they come across as so likable, so appealing. Uh, they've got some charisma about mm-hmm. them, and people are just drawn to them. And so, what happens is it's kind of like the frog in boiling water, kind of. Uh, metaphor or parable that you have a a frog, you put it in water put it over the stove Mm -hmm. and it's fine, Uh, it won't jump out but as you gradually turn up the heat Mm -hmm. it doesn't realize how hot it's getting and then it's boiling and before it knows the the frog is cooked and that's kind of what happens for women in these kinds of situations because the man appears very charming very likable and and she will conclude, (laughs) he loves me and so as she is concluding this then maybe that first incident might happen that is much more shall we say oh, sorry, go ahead. you got a You okay yeah so before it knows it the the frog is cooked mm-hmm. and that's what happens to women that are in these domestic violence relationships the the man is very charming comes across very likable she believes he loves me and has very good reason for her to draw that conclusion based on her experience and then he loses his temper one time and mm-hmm. she's shocked and you know, what is going on and he'll follow up with oh I'm so sorry I, I got so upset because I love you mm-hmm. so much and I uh, that'll never happen again and then she's like oh yeah okay and very forgiving And then it'll happen again Mm -hmm. and it'll happen again and then it'll gradually and always escalate and intensify because this is as I said at the beginning this is a systematic pattern of these types of behaviors and they will intensify and it's driven by this sense of entitlement Mm -hmm. so I think what a lot of people struggle with then is all right, if women are experiencing this, why don't they just leave and mm-hmm. they have this idea that it's it's really weak minded women who find themselves in these mm-hmm. situations and I'm here to say that is not at all the case mm-hmm. and I, I've worked uh, with women who my clients I have actually a ton of respect for them they they are very inspiring actually mm-hmm. and
1: many who are smart driven successful
0: strong strong Mm -hmm.
1: absolutely and still experience this right
0: and so we need to sort of dispel that idea that it's these weak-minded women it can happen to to any woman and we're seeing that it's happening as I said to one in nine men as well so Mm -hmm. let's talk about why women don't just leave they find themselves often in this double bind and so when they're in this double bind what do we what do we mean by this well a double bind is if I if I go this way it's a lose scenario if I go this way it's another lose scenario so I only have these two lose-lose scenarios to choose from and that's what's happening Uh see domestic violence doesn't always end when the victim escapes the abuser mm-hmm. uh, It really, in fact, the victim is often in the most danger directly following the escape of the relationship or when they seek help. One in five, consider this, one in five homicide victims with restraining orders are murdered within two days of obtaining the order and one in three are murdered within the first two months. And so many times when women are trying to get out of this domestic violence relationship, they are most vulnerable because mm-hmm. this is the only tool in, in the man's toolbox, so to speak, yeah. is to use violence to intimidate and dominate and control. Okay. And so when they lose that, what are they going to do? They're going to intensify that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if all I have is a hammer in my toolbox and the hammer doesn't work, I'm just going to hammer, hammer,
1: hammer. Harder. Yeah, Yeah.
0: harder and more often. Yes. And that's what happens for women when they try to leave these situations. The truth is, bringing an end to abuse, it's not a matter of the victim choosing to leave. It's a matter of the victim being able to safely escape their abuser, the abuser choosing to stop the abuse, or others, such as law enforcement or the courts, holding the abuser accountable the abuse they inflict. So it's not just women leaving. Mm -hmm. And also, why in the world would they stay? Mm -hmm. Why would a woman stay in a situation like this? Well, there is fear of of leaving because of what could happen to them. They've also been intimidated where they've maybe been told by their abuser, if you leave, I will do harm to your family. Mm -hmm. And I've had clients who have experienced that too, where in fact there was intimidating behaviors with the person's family. Right. And so I I can't leave. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of women, too, when they leave, that means they could lose custody of their kids or they could Mm -hmm. lose time with their kids. Half the time, now the kids are going to be with the dad. And maybe if I stay, I can be a buffer for that. Right. Not to mention, if women leave... I can't remember how many exactly, but there's a large prevalence of women who leave and find themselves in poverty now. So they leave that situation because what the the abuser's trying to do is isolate them and get them isolated from family, but also from work and make them totally dependent upon him for all their finances. So the abuser has essentially successfully... Isolated this person through all of these tactics, mm-hmm. so that they can totally control this person. They use yep. the finances, they use the kids, they use other things to keep them so isolated and and really dominated and controlled by them. So I mean, like you it's said hard before, to leave.
1: It's that theme of power and control. It. Why would somebody just give that up if some if that person were to leave?
0: Right. Mm-hmm yeah it, it's uh it, it's, and that 's what where we need a lot more compassion mm-hmm. uh, and it, it's staggering in my mind that there was blame put on the women for staying. It is right. truly a double bind i can 't stay i can 't go which is the lesser of two evils here yeah and so what we do a lot as therapists when we work with women in situations like this is come up with a safety plan yep. to help them when they can leave and there's a lot that has to be thought of. And planned out to make sure that the leaving is done very strategically mm-hmm. to ensure the greatest amount of safety. But then you got to think about kids. And so there's a lot that goes into this, and it's not so simple as just saying, well, just leave him. Right. And so let's take a look at what happens um, with this ongoing pattern of intimidation and coercion and violence by these perpetrators. Uh, most of this happens, by the way, about 90 to 92% 90 per- of all domestic violence cases occur just with that one person. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's isolated to just that one person. It doesn't happen anywhere else. So, uh, again, he might seem very uh, charming, very likable on the mm-hmm. outside, and everyone would look at the marriage and the relationship and say, oh, everything's great. Mm-hmm everything's wonderful look how happy they are mm-hmm. and that's why we've told people here at Nystrom who are therapists do not see if you suspect that there's some domestic mm-hmm. violence going on do not do couples therapy because yep. she she will come in and she will probably underreport and mm-hmm. he'll show that everything's fine and then the moment they get home he'll feel like he's losing that control and like we yep. said he'll intensify that sense of violence and with her and take it out on her when they leave and so actually therapy can actually perpetuate this Mm -hmm. so we encourage people contact Duluth training model or Duluth model to get some outside help for this and in each community uh, there are different resources and and things that people can go to to find help but what are we talking about when we think about these tactics as I refer to them we're talking about intimidation we're talking about coercion and threats emotional abuse isolating a ton of blame it is her fault for everything that goes wrong in the relationship and then they they use the children Um, they use economic abuse to try to keep them dependent so they can't leave and then what happens is the one who's being abused the woman might engage in different things that other people call resistive violence and Gabby Petito did this. If we Mm -hmm. know anything about the story with Gabby Petito, some law enforcement people had pulled them over or noticed that they were fighting in a car Mm -hmm. and asked what's going on. She had slapped him I think or hit him and and then they said all right well you guys just separate for the night you Mm -hmm. go stay at this room in the hotel you go here and okay problem solved. Mm-hmm. The difficulty was that what was happening wasn't just sort of this spat this was resistive violence mm-hmm. on her part okay what she was doing is just trying to slap him and, and fight with him a little bit because he was threatening to leave her in the desert mm-hmm. and she felt highly vulnerable so she was trying to resist this sense of emotional abuse by him and the cops didn't understand that, that this was part of a broader context of domestic violence. So she was using some physical violence to try to resist. Other times people uh, will use negotiation, Oh, please don't do that, I'll do this instead. Um, They appeal to family and friends, any way to try to appease, uh, even anger, hostility, (coughs) withdrawal, these are ways that they're trying to resist the violence that is just inevitable to them. So, it's a way to try to control something where they feel completely out of control. So, let's take a look at these men who batter. Okay, Mm -hmm. I'm focusing primarily on men. As we said, this is a a gendered crime and so the characteristics of men that batter are, are very interesting. The literature on domestic violence has done actually little to characterize the man who batters. One study found in a National Library of Medicine reported statistics on five major correlates of such men. So it would be violence between the batterer's parents, abuse of the batterer when he was a child, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, and employment status. According to the Minnesota Council uh, for Battered Women, men who batter women, they come from all socioeconomic racial, ethnic, and religious backgrounds. The abuser may be young or old, blue-collar, white-collar, highly paid or unemployed. He may be a drinker, may be a non-drinker, he may use drugs, he may not use them at all. Batterers represent all different kinds of personalities, family backgrounds, professions, so there's no typical batterer. And one study found that over 90 percent of abusers, they don't even have criminal records. So it is so Mm -hmm. hard to identify what is going on. And let's think about what drives them. Yeah. Why do they batter in the first place? To me, this would be unconscionable. But as I said at the beginning, they do this because of a sense of entitlement. Mm -hmm. And think about that. I am entitled to blame her for everything. I am entitled to batter her. Mm I am entitled to manipulate and gaslight her.
1: her Gaslight, yep.
0: It's my it's a right I have because she's wrong all the time anyway, and it's all her fault. Mm -hmm. So it's an extreme entitlement that drives this. Now, some people believe that men grew up in experiencing or witnessing abuse, and they might have even experienced abandonment as a child. Mm -hmm. So now think about that as a child if they've witnessed or experienced abuse or abandonment and that sense of powerlessness Mm -hmm. you have as a child and then you become an adult and Mm -hmm. I'm not powerless anymore in fact I have physically maybe more power than my partner Mm -hmm. and so I'm never gonna let anybody do that to me before so that sense of powerlessness as a child manifests itself in rage Mm -hmm. as an adult. There was no rage as a child because if I express that as a kiddo, what's going to happen to me? Or what more could happen to mom if yeah. I express this as a child? Yeah. So that's important to understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, all behavior is caused. It doesn't just happen in a vacuum. And that's what's happening with these men who who matter uh, typically. And there might be other reasons. Sometimes what happens is they'll just say, well, we just had a little too much to drink, and things got a little out of mm-hmm. control, and so they try to triangulate something else in there, and if they can't just blame her, they're going to blame it on something else. It was yeah. just, you know, we just had a little spat, and we had too much to drink. Mm-hmm. These are things we need to be careful of. We pause. <laughs> <laughs> What the Duluth model has done, that I talked about at the beginning, is that they developed what is called an equality wheel. They've also developed a power and control wheel and I would encourage people to learn more about this by going to their website Duluth model or Duluth training model and you can find this. Now these power and control wheels are just kind of like pie charts. Mm-hmm. and For instance, the power control wheel is devised by the voices and experiences of women who've experienced this. And it highlights their experiences by talking about what the emotional abuse looked like, and how intimidation was used, and Mm -hmm. threats and coercion was used, using male privilege, or using children, uh, minimizing, denying, and blaming. And it gives examples of all these little different wedges on a pie chart This is significant because it it provides kind of a new lexicon, if you will, for the women who have been battered to show them like, yeah, this is what happened to me. Mm -hmm. And for the people who work with the Luth Training Model, they work also with the abusers. And they use this kind of as a mirror to throw up to them to look at and provide a lexicon for them that hey, this is abuse, this is violence, and and these are the examples of things you have done. Mm -hmm. And I give them a lot of credit because it's a very difficult population to work with, but they're very, uh, very adept and skilled in being able to know how do we help these men understand this and begin to think a little bit more critically about their behaviors. And they can be very successful. Now, they also developed, along that similar vein, is another wheel called the Equality Wheel. And it mm-hmm. highlights for women and it highlights for the men who've been battering what equality really looks like in a relationship. Mm-hmm. To where What does respect look like? What is non-threatening behavior? How do you negotiate with fairness? What is an economic partnership? How do we share responsibility? What does responsible parenting look like? And how do we have honesty and accountability and trust and support in our relationship? Uh, it's a great thing for anybody to really look mm-hmm. at in a relationship where you want to have equality. And so, again, the, this helps the the women who've been in this relationship. And they sort of forget, like, this is what equality is. This is what I really want. And it, this is like a new language Mm -hmm. for the men to show them that this is what equality looks like and to move past this sense of entitlement that they have. So this is kind of a nutshell. We had to do uh, when our training, it was probably about an hour and a half, so Mm -hmm. we can't really get into all of it today, but really wanted to highlight that this is happening. It's very, very prevalent. It's not the woman's fault. Mm -hmm and the men need to take responsibility for their behaviors the sense of entitlement that drives this and knowing that our audience could be from lots of different states it's hard to give specific resources for them I would or I think therapists can help a woman who's looking to get out if they have the resources of knowing how to develop a safety plan for Mm -hmm. them I would encourage people to look at their local resources for domestic violence and uh, shelters for women and pursue that. You can also look at the Duluth Training Model and the Duluth Training Model, as I said, they are the gold standard when it comes to effectively working with survivors and the perpetrators. And there's also the National Domestic Violence Hotline where you can call 1-800-799 and the word SAFE. That's 1-800-799 the word safe or that's also 7233. You can also text quote start to 88788 that's text the word start to 88788. Well my heart goes out to a lot of people who are experiencing this. If you're a woman that is going through this, my heart not only goes out to you, but after working with women who've gone through this. I have so much inspiration and respect for you and urge you, reach out to the Duluth Training Model and find the help and support that you desperately need, deserve as well.
1: Yeah, and all for all those therapists listening, um, we really want to encourage more and more people to learn about this issue, learn about those resources for help um, and helping to kind of learn and recognize and be able to help clients if they present with you and really are seeking help. Thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate you and we hope you have a wonderful rest of the day.